My name is Greg Wilburn. Uh, I'm a pastoral resident here at Sojourn J-Town. Uh, my wife and I we were serving overseas in India for a number of years, uh, but now we're back um, feeling a call towards pastoral ministry, and so here now at Sojourn J-Town serving as a pastoral resident. Um, so I'll be preaching this morning, continuing on in our James uh, series. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 12. So if you have a Bible, um, also you have it in the bulletin and on the screen, we're going to read together James 4, verse 1 through 12. I invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's Word as we do here at Sojourn, if you're able to. Uh, let's read together James 4, 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You desire and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace? Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and He will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, thank you that you love us, God, and that you have given your word to us. To teach us, to instruct us. Uh, and so that we would be changed, that we would be transformed by your word. Uh, I pray that you would do a good work in my heart and in our hearts this morning, that you would transform us and, and fill us with your love and your presence. Uh, do a good thing, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So James chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, the focus of this message is going to be on the idea of surrender. That we are called to surrender to God, to surrender to God's love. Now before we get into some of that, we see here in the first few verses, there's some interesting words here. Fighting and quarreling and murder and this relational disharmony. And as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought about some of the, the fights and quarrels that happen in our home. We have four young children, so you can see where this is going, right? Seven and under, there's going to be fights and quarrels when you have children. You parents probably know what I'm talking about. Um, and so sometimes I listen to these fights. I listen to these quarrels and, and, and listen to what they're saying in the midst of their anger. And one of the phrases that has come up um, with our three-year-old when he gets in arguments or quarrels with his older siblings is he says, uh, Daddy, 
Phineas doesn't love me. Phineas doesn't like me. Abby doesn't like me. So yeah, he, he, he gets in this upset mood, and he's angry, and he's kind of throwing a fit, and it looks like this big quarrel's happening, but then he comes to us, and he says, Daddy, Phineas doesn't like me. Abby doesn't like me. And I just, when I, when I would hear that phrase, it would just break my heart just hearing that from a little boy, like, they don't like me. But what he's doing is he's revealing his heart to us, that there's some deep insecurity going on in his heart. It's not just anger, it's not just quarreling and fighting, but he feels rejected. He feels like he doesn't belong in that moment with his brother and sister. And this also has happened in other ways. They're two oldest. Sometimes we'll be playing a board game uh, at the kitchen table. And it has happened before where we're sitting around and we hear some kind of angry outburst at the table during the board game. And maybe a, a board game piece goes flying in the air. Someone yells. We're like, what's happening? What's going on? And then the child will say, I'm not good at this game. I'm terrible at this game. Why can I ever do this right? And so, yes, there's anger, there's a, there's a quarrel, there's a fight, maybe even a piece of a board game thrown. But what's really going on underneath the surface and in the heart is this insecurity. I am not good at this game. I'm a failure. I can't get this right. Something's wrong with me. And so that's what we see here in James. And as parents, we're trying constantly to remind our kids that we love them. They love each other. God loves them. It'll be okay. And so in James, this is what we see as well. That God invites us, his people, to surrender to his love in the midst of our fighting, in the midst of our quarrels and insecurities and relational problems. He calls us to surrender to his love. So if you like to take notes, the, the, the focus of the message is going to be on three points. First, acknowledge the insecurities of your heart. Acknowledge the insecurities of your own heart. Secondly, remember God's passionate love for you. And then third, surrender. Surrender to God's love. So that's where we're going to be going this morning in this passage. Uh, so acknowledge the insecurities of your heart. Look again at verse 1 through 3. Let's read that together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, and then in James chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, uh, it also kind of comes in with this same theme here when it's talking about the tongue. It says this, uh, But no human evil can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So, in this passage, James chapter 4, he, James is painting for us a picture of relational problems. Relational dysfunction and disharmony, right? These quarrels and these fights. We see this in verse 1. He uses the word quarrels and fights. Verse 2, murder, fight and quarrel. And then in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, he talks about us Cursing other people, made in the likeness of God, insulting others, degrading others with our words. So what he's saying is that during this time in the church, there, was relational, there were relational problems, relational dysfunction and disharmony. But you and I can relate to this, can't we? This isn't just a problem back then. This is a problem that we experience as well. Quarrels and arguments in our marriages, in our parenting, with our kids, even in our extended families. Right? 
you go home for the holidays, for some of you, there's a lot of dysfunction in your home, in your family that you grew up with. We've experienced it in our neighborhoods, maybe even in here in the church, in our community group. Relational problems, right? There are so many different ways that you and I are not at peace with one another. We always pass the peace, you know, on Sunday services. But there are so many different ways that we are really not at peace with each other. We get in quarrels and fights, we argue, we defend ourselves, we accuse one another, maybe even look down on others, we can hold grudges and bitterness as well. There are so many different ways in which we are not at peace with one another. But what James is saying here is that your relational disharmony and dysfunction that you experience is actually a deeper reflection of the disharmony and dysfunction within your own heart, within your own soul. So the outward stuff, the outward quarreling and arguing and fighting, it's like just the tip of the iceberg coming out of the water. You ever seen these documentaries of these icebergs, maybe in Alaska or Norway or some Scandinavian country, these big, massive, icy mountains coming out of the water? But underneath, there's a huge mountain of ice as well. And so the quarreling and the fighting and the arguing is just the tip of the iceberg coming out of the surface of the water. But below the surface of our hearts, there's also this massive mountain of insecurities and things that are that we're wrestling with within our hearts. Look at this language. You see this in these verses, right? In chapter 4, in the verse, first few verses, he says, your passions are at war within you. You desire, you covet. Earlier in James 3.14, he says, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is in your hearts. So underneath all the quarreling and the fighting and the anger and the relational problems is this tumultuous, unstable heart at war with itself. In the heart, there's bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, covetousness, restlessness. There's no peace, no rest, no security in this heart. Which is very sad, isn't it? And this is the opposite of how God has designed us and how He has made us. Remember the story of God creating Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the language that he uses about their life? You don't get any idea that there was relational problems in the beginning. There was relational harmony, flourishing. They were at peace with one another. There was no arguing and fighting and quarreling and jealousy and covetousness. Adam and Eve were perfectly at rest and at peace with themselves and with God. There was none of this mess that we see here. Adam and Eve knew that God loved them deeply and passionately. And they were safe and secure in God's love. They knew that they were precious image bearers of God. We know that something happened in the story, right? Sin took root in their hearts when they became covetous of the forbidden fruit. They began to question Am I really safe with God? Am I really secure with God? Am I missing something? Am I missing something on the inside? Maybe, maybe God is holding out on us and there's something good I'm missing out on. And they went for that forbidden fruit, right? And ever since then, you and I have been asking those same questions. Am I missing something in my life? Am I missing something within me? So instead of enjoying the peace and the rest and the security that God gives us, we become insecure. James says we covet, we desire, we fight, 
We cannot obtain. We fight. We quarrel. All of this. We're jealous. So what about you? Where do you find yourself this morning? Where do you see insecurity show itself in your own heart, in your own relationships? Maybe in the conflicts that you have with your spouse. Where do you see insecurity show itself? A couple of examples of this could be like this. Maybe a husband feels disrespected by his wife's words. And so instead of resting in God's honor of him and calmly addressing the hurt with his wife, he lashes back with words of anger and defense. Or maybe a wife feels unloved, unappreciated, not listened to by her husband. And instead of resting in God's perfect love for her and then calmly addressing the hurt she feels, she becomes resentful and demanding and clinging. James is saying that our passions are at war within us. We desire something, and we don't have it. And so we get upset and angry. We covet and we cannot obtain. There's bitter jealousy in our hearts. So this insecurity is going on, and in our insecurity, we're grasping for something. We want some sort of life and security. We think that we're missing out on something. Looking for that missing puzzle piece in our lives, so to speak. Just earlier this week, our kids were putting together a puzzle at our kitchen table. And one of the pieces went missing. And I think I was more upset about it than they were. I was like, where's the puzzle piece? We've got to find it. My life is not in order and not complete until we find this puzzle piece. Everything needs to stop. We've got to find this puzzle piece. I'm kind of anal like that, and it just it frustrated me. Where's the puzzle piece? And in the same way, some of us were, were wrestling with life and the struggles that we have, and we're searching for that missing puzzle piece in our lives. Covetousness takes root. We begin to desire what we don't have. Maybe, you ask, maybe if I had a better marriage, then I would be happy. Maybe if I had more sexual fulfillment in my life, then I would be a little more happy and content. If only I had just a little more money, maybe a better job, some better vacations, then my life would be a little more secure, a little more, more full of happiness. And so in this search for the missing happiness in our lives, we can also turn to others. He says jealousies in your hearts. We become jealous of one another. We can compare ourselves to one another out of our insecure hearts. Oh man, I wish I had that person's marriage. I really wish I had that person's marriage. They have a happy marriage. Or that person's finances. They, they are a lot more financially secure and stable. I wish I had that person's finances. Or maybe even that person's skills or giftings. They're really good at that. I wish I had that gift, and that skill, or that position that they have in their job, in their company. I wish I had that. And some of this jealousy and comparing ourselves to one another can even spill out in relationships. You can see it sometimes with moms, right? Not just pick on the moms. Guys do this in different ways. But you have the mommy wars, right? I mean, there's all kinds of debates among moms about the best parenting methods and mothering strategies. And, oh, she did natural childbirth. You know, I wish I would have done that. And I feel bad about myself. Or, well, she feeds her kids more healthy food. And I don't do that. But, hey, I homeschool my kids. She sends them to public school, to pagan schools. You know, well, at least I'm better than her on that. You know, this, this happens. It does. We this happens among ourselves, this jealousy and comparing ourselves to one another. James is saying it's this insecurity of our hearts. We lack this peace, and so we become jealous. We compare ourselves to others. We fight and we quarrel. 
And then if that were not enough, there's some other things going on in this passage that come out of our insecure hearts. It talks about boasting. In James 3, 5 and verse 14, later on in the chapter, of, uh, chapter 4, he mentions boasting. Man, out of his insecurity, feels like he's not good. And so to feel better about himself, he boasts about his wisdom, about his greatness, about his achievements. And you and I can do this, can we? We subtly boast about how good we are, how great we are in different areas of our lives because we feel so insecure. And he speaks against this pride, this boasting. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. And then lastly, some of the other insecurities that work there is out of that pride, out of feeling insecure, not only do we lift ourselves up, but we tear others down, right? In verse 11 and 12, we'll get to that later. But he talks about tearing others down with our words. You know, if you're down, then I'm up. You know, I feel better about myself if you're down. I put you down. And so how about you, when you think about your heart and your relationships right now in your life, where do you see insecurity and restlessness show itself in your own heart, in your own relationships right now? What are some ways in which you're seeking after security apart from God? See, underneath all of the quarreling and the arguing that you experience with your spouse, there's a question you need to ask yourself. What is it that I'm really wanting? When I'm quarreling and arguing with my spouse, what is it that I really want? Underneath all the coveting and grasping after life and the missing happiness in your life, I ask you, what do you want? What do you really want out of life? When you compare yourselves to others and are jealous, what's really going on there? What are you really longing for and desiring? Even underneath the pride and the boasting and tearing others down, what's really going on in your soul? Why do you do that? What's the deep need and longing of your soul in the midst of that? I would argue from James here that underneath your relational dysfunction and disharmony, underneath your distorted desires, the deep insecurities of your heart, is some good news. There is a good and holy and righteous desire underneath all of the mess. You desire to be loved. You desire to be honored, safe, and secure, and happy. That's really what you want in so many different ways, but that's really what you want. And that's good. But God's saying there are ways in which you have tried to prove in your own strength that you are lovable, that you are honorable, that you are safe and secure. There are ways in which you and I have sought joy apart from God, disconnected from God. We have all done that. And God calls out to you and to, to myself. He calls out and He says, look, I want you to surrender. Surrender. Die to these distorted, insecure ways of struggling and grasping for life and happiness. Die to this. Surrender. And receive my love. This is what God's saying to us. Receive my love. Surrender to my love. So the second point here. Remember God's passionate love for you. We see this in James 4, verse 4-6. through 6. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us? But He gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, before we look at those verses, just a quick note here. In verse 2 and 3, You know, he's talking about you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So just a quick reminder here, what James is saying is that desire is not bad. It is not bad for you to desire a better job, more vacation time. Maybe a little bit more financial security. It's not necessarily bad to desire those things. Desire for love and safety and security and honor and sex and better relationships is not a bad desire. But, he's saying, we should ask. We should ask God for these things that we want. And then if we don't get them, we can be okay with that. He wants us to ask in a way that's not self-centered, with a humble heart, not a demanding and grasping heart. An example of this, uh, again, back to my kids and some of the quarrels that we experience in our own home. Sometimes, you know, two kids will be fighting over a toy, right? And one of the kids wants the toy and gets upset and angry and throws a fit because the other kid won't give the toy to him. So sometimes we come over there and I try to act calm and try to enter into the chaos calmly, but I don't always succeed at that. So, you know, I'm sure you're with me there, parents. It's a struggle. But I step in, and I ask you, what's going on? What's, what's the fight about? And then the kid will say, well, you know, they didn't give me the toy. didn't give me the toy. I was upset. And, and so I'll say, well, did you try asking? Maybe asking nicely for the toy? And then the other one's like, no, of course. We never think to ask, you know. Of course not. You know, just got to hit and grab. That's how we do life, right? Well, no, like, why don't you try to ask? Well, sometimes they'll go and ask, and then it's like unsuccessful. And then you're like, well, I failed in that parenting moment. Um, But sometimes, strangely enough, if they ask really nicely, sometimes the other kid will actually give the toy. And that's kind of what's going on here is he's saying, have the humble heart, the posture of receiving that can ask God for the desires of your heart without demanding and grasping for it. But the reality is here in verse 3 is that these people's hearts are nothing like that. They are totally insecure, totally distorted and corrupted. They don't really love God. They're kind of just living their lives for themselves. And so in the midst of that, to remember God's passionate love for his people, he says something that kind of sounds harsh, but it's actually really loving. He says this in verse 4, you adulterous people, you adulterous people. By God saying that, he's actually revealing to you how much he passionately loves you. Because in the Old Testament scriptures, God called his people his wife, his bride, his lover, that he loved passionately and deeply and was committed to. And James picks up that same Old Testament language and he says, look, you're being an adulterous people. You're not loving God, you're loving kind of your own way of doing life. You're going astray like an adulterous woman goes astray from her husband. James is saying, he uses this word, this word of being friends with the world and enemies with God. He's saying, look, you're losing your friendship and companionship with God. 
You're seeking after friends and lovers of the world with all of its covetousness and fighting and arguing and jealousy and insecurity. You're becoming lovers of the world, exalting yourselves, tearing others down. You're not loving me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then God says, look, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You adulterous people. God is grieved. God is brokenhearted. He's a brokenhearted lover who's grieved over the pain that his bride is causing him by their unfaithful ways of living. We see this in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us? God is a jealous lover in the good sense of the word, a jealous, passionate, devoted, committed lover who wants the full affection and intimacy of his wife, his bride, the church. And isn't this what you desire for your own spouse, right? You desire that your spouse will never leave you or abandon you or divorce you. You desire that your spouse's full affection and intimacy and love will be for you and you alone. And that's a good and holy desire. And this is God's heart. This is God's jealous, passionate, loving heart for His people. This, right now, in this room, is God's heart for you. God is a a passionate lover who loves you passionately, jealously. He burns with longing and desire for you to experience His joy, His goodness, His beauty, His power. That you would know that and feel that and walk in that all the days of your life. And have true life within yourself. This is what God desires for you. This is the kind of love with which He loves you. He doesn't want your heart to be like this. He doesn't want your heart to be full of insecurity, jealousy, comparing yourself to one another, covetousness, fighting and quarreling. He wants you to lay it all down. Surrender. Receive His love. To rest in His love. And the peace that He wants to give you. That's what God wants for you. And so this is a call for me. This is a call for you. That in the midst of our insecurities, in our heart, and in our relationships, we're called to remember God's passionate, jealous, and good love for us. That He's a good God and His love alone will satisfy us. Now, if you feel defeated and discouraged and sinful right now, don't lose heart. You know, reading this passage, you hear this. I felt this. This is hard to hear. Don't feel defeated and discouraged. It says that He gives grace. He's also a gracious and forgiving lover. Look at verse 6. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the good news of the Gospel, right? He gives grace. He restores. You might be here this morning and you're struggling in your relationships. You're struggling in your heart with jealousy and comparing yourselves and insecurities within your soul. But in the midst of all of your brokenness right now, God loves you. And He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And Jesus was never insecure. He never compared Himself to others and was prideful and tore others down out of insecurity. In fact, Jesus loves you so much that He took on the cross all of your insecurities, all of your jealousy and covetousness and fighting that you've done with your spouse. He took all of it and all of the punishment that you and I deserve. He took it for you and for me. 
And then He rose again from the dead in victory. And He extends His arms out to you this morning in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your brokenness, and your relationship problems, and your insecurities. And He says, I will give you grace. Right now, this morning, for that struggle, for that difficulty you're facing, I will give you grace. I will forgive you. I will heal you of your insecurities by my love and grace. This is what God does for us in the gospel. He's a gracious lover. So I invite you, encourage you to remember God's passionate love for you, even in the midst of your insecurities. And then lastly here, the third point, we want to surrender. We see this in verse 7 through 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The picture James is painting for us in these verses is a picture of surrender. Of surrender in the midst of a great battle, a great war. You see, earlier he called us enemies of God when we live in a way that's apart from God. We're acting like enemies of God. Saying because of our sin, us lovers of God have turned into enemies of God when we live in these kind of insecure ways. So like Adam and Eve, we were meant to receive our rest, our peace, and our security in God's love. You are precious and valued and loved by God. And that's where your security is. That's where your rest is. That's where your hope is. But you and I in different ways have rejected that and have not received that kind of security and love from God. And we go and try to find it in other ways. James says we're now insecure. We fight. We quarrel. We're jealous. We compare ourselves. We boast. We tear others down. This is what's happening. But what he's saying is that all of this struggling and all of this fighting and coveting and grasping for life in our own way is really a struggle and fight against the God who loves you. It might not feel that way, but it is. We're fighting and struggling against receiving God's secure love when we live in an insecure way. Picture a battle scene from a movie, right? Gladiator, Braveheart, some kind of war movie. Picture a battle scene. The vicious fighting, the anger, the blood, the guts, and then the humility that comes when one side has to surrender. This is really a picture of you and I. We worship a good and loving God, but we've been struggling and fighting against Him in different ways. And he says, come and surrender to me. Submit yourselves to God. Surrender to God. It says, draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Mourn and weep. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. All that language is this language of surrender. Surrender to God right now. God calls out to you in the midst of those insecurities and relational problems and dysfunction. He says, surrender. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your defenses. Whatever you're holding back, lay it down. Stop struggling and fighting for life in these insecure ways. God says, come to me. Draw near to me. Broken, humble, empty-handed. And receive my unconditional love and compassion and grace for you through Jesus Christ. God calls out to us in this kind of way. Receive my grace in the midst of your brokenness. Um, there's a picture, I think, I can pull up here, of India. Um, 
A story of my own personal brokenness and surrender that happened in India. My wife and I served overseas for several years doing mission work, and we had to learn the language and the culture, and we were sharing the gospel with the people. It was a difficult place, very difficult place to live. And in the midst of all that, I struggled with deep aloneness, deep loneliness and pain in my heart. And I went through a deep battle with depression and anxiety and anxiety, and was even on the point of a, a panic attack, really. And in the midst of all that, through those months, God began to work in my own heart and break down some things and humble me. He began to show me that there's some pain that I've been carrying in my heart, wounds from the past and from past relationships, even dysfunction in my own heart, ways that I've been trying to find my value and my worth in what I do. If I go to a faraway country and I do some great thing for God and plant the church in a place where it's not, well, then I will have value and worth in this world. And God said, no, stop fighting and struggling. Yeah, you're doing a good work, but no, your, your worth and your value is found in me and in my passionate love for you, not all this work you're trying to do for me. And so in that, I had to surrender and be broken and receive his unconditional love in my heart. Now, that might sound kind of foreign and extreme and exotic, and that's not where you're at, but that's okay. There are places right now for every single person sitting in this room where you are broken. There are broken places in your heart, wounds, hurts, shame, insecurity that you're carrying right now. And I ask you and invite you to ask God what those things are so that you can surrender to Him in brokenness, surrender to His love and receive His restoring grace. That's what we see here in these, in these verses. Um, lastly, we'll kind of close these two verses at the end of the passage. In verse 11 and 12, here's an example of transformation that happens after we surrender to the love of God. Read with me here verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Just to sum that up really briefly, what he's basically saying is don't talk bad about other people. Don't speak evil against your brother. Don't gossip and slander and talk bad about people and hurt them with your words. And he's saying when you do that, you speak against God's law. You come against God's very law because in the Old Testament, he said, do not slander. Love your neighbors yourself. And so when you do the opposite of that, you're judging God's law and coming against God's law. What he's saying here is that really we do this. And we do this pride thing, this tearing others down, this jealousy. All this stuff is really out of our insecurity because we're not at rest with God and His love. But he's saying that when you bring your insecurity, when you bring your covetousness and your jealousy and your comparing, when you bring all of that to God and surrender it and receive His love, He begins to bring you to a place slowly where you are so at rest and secure in His love that you don't have to lash out with your words and demean others. So he's giving an example of the surrender, the transformation that happens in that surrender. So as we close, just to kind of summarize where we have been, um, he's calling us in this passage to acknowledge 
the insecurities in our hearts and in our relationships. He's calling you to remember His love, God's passionate love for you, and that you are secure in His love. And then He wants you to surrender to that love, receive that love in those broken places. So as we close, just to two application questions, I'd like for you to reflect upon this week. Number one, where do you see insecurity show itself in your life right now, in your relationships, in your own heart? Where do you see insecurity and restlessness at work? And then lastly, in what way is God inviting you today, you personally, to surrender? To surrender to His great love for you in the midst of your brokenness. Where is He inviting you into that? He loves you and He wants you to come to Him. He does. So as we close out our time, we're going to go to a time of communion where you take the, the bread and the cup and we remember in this meal that Jesus Christ, His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. We take the bread, tear it off and dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by the twine. If you're a Christian this morning, I encourage you to come to this and remember God's passionate, jealous, and good love for you this morning. Remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all that you're struggling with right now. And He wants to give you fresh grace and love today. Be reminded of that. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you not just to take this meal, save that for another time, but to take Jesus first. To receive Jesus. That God loves you. He loves you and He wants you to have a secure love relationship with Him. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Him. That He's King. He's Lord. He died for you and rose for you. And He wants you to know God's love. Trust in Him. Come to Him today if you want to know Him. Let's pray.